It doesn't matter if you love crafts, blackjack, machines, or dining on the finest Asian, American, and Salish cuisines. It doesn't matter what you do or where you're coming from. Muckleshoot. What you do is all at Muckleshoot. An easy drive from wherever you are. All roads lead to Muckleshoot. Aloha Breeze has a lead by four lengths over Miss Dynamic in second. Step up races third, then it's Jamie's Inheritance. Magusta Luna with a belated rally on the outside, but the outcome has been decided, and it's Aloha Breeze. Aloha Breeze blowing the field away in this Seattle Stakes. Horse Racing Northwest from Emerald Downs. We're getting closer to the Long Acres Mile. It's coming up Sunday, August 13th. Aloha Breeze probably won't be in the mile. She's a three-year-old filly. But that was her in action at the top of the show in the Seattle Stakes. She's two for two at the meeting, and she is back this weekend as a stakes doubleheader at Emerald Downs, the Irish Day Stakes for three-year-olds and the Kent Stakes for three-year-old fillies at Emerald Downs. Looking forward to that. Yeah, I can go to all the fields here really quick. Yes. The Kent Stakes, you just mentioned Aloha Breeze. She drew the two-hole. It's a field of six going six and a half. Three-year-old fillies from the rail out. Step up. Aloha Breeze. Jamie's Inheritance. Driveway. Miss Dynamic. Dad's Estrella. And then in the Irish State as race eight. Gintong. Langston Road. Company's Dream. Royal Halo. Stealing Hearts. Clovis Connection. And Lloyd's Logic. The two favorites, probable favorites, uh, drawing post six and seven on the outside. Okay. Looking forward to that action. A stakes doubleheader at Emerald Downs. Nine, nine race card on Sunday, starting at 2 p.m., but we're going to kick off on Friday night at 7. And then Saturday post time, as most of you know, is 5 p.m. It's Equine Art Week at Emerald Downs. The Equine Art Show starts on Thursday evening, and the winners will be recognized and crowned on Thursday evening. And then the art is on the track level at its normal display area near the Hall of Fame exhibit Thursday night, all day, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So all art is for sale. A great addition, as usual, to Emerald Downs Week. Joe Withy, Vince Brune, and Bill Downs here on Horse Racing Northwest. Bill, good afternoon. Hello, Joe. Good to have you here, as usual. Saratoga underway on Thursday. Their opening day, that seems like a little earlier, like a week earlier than ever, is it? Yeah, because Del Mar, they, usually, they used to open pretty much on top of each other, but Del Mar not till next week. Okay. So uh, Saratoga a week earlier, and uh, you mentioned Bill. Um, Bill won't brag on himself, but he had 10 winners last week that he picked with wow. you guys on the air. And yeah. nine of them were not favorites. In fact, Joe, we were talking, not many favorites won last week. So 10 out of 25, you that's guys. excellent, Bill, 40%. Yeah, that is, yeah, that is really strong. You know, I wouldn't have brought that up because uh, I'm competing against you and I would have swept that under the rug. No, oh, just no kidding. Joe would not have, but only <laughs> we made only two for 25 for the favorites last yeah, week. Yeah, two for 25 down to about uh, a little under 36% for the season which is just a huge drop the last few weeks. And, you know, it's, it's, it's stats. It's 
highs and lows, it's ups and downs, it swings, but, uh, you know, the chance to cash uh, a, a little bit decent bet, you know, the favorites are winning every race, that, that slows down a little bit on the, the payoff end of things. But again, we have a 10% uh, takeout on the doubles and the pick threes this year, which is fantastic. That's less than half in the takeout from previous years on doubles and pick threes. So, And those pools are uh, gotten a little bit bigger as the season has gone on, I've noticed. And if you're just an everyday player, that you you know, we see low takeouts on some some of the more extravagant bets like pick fives, pick fours, which are for the normal player, everyday player can be difficult to hit. The doubles and the pick threes are hittable. You don't go so deep, make it keep it simple. When you hit and you yep. get, you get more money back. And those are the bets that I think, you know, they're more there's a term in, in horse racing called churn. And horse tracks love churn because the more money that gets bet and you know, five dollars might turn into sixty dollars if if there's enough churn. And so the doubles and pick threes having those that low takeout as opposed to the pick five, it's more advantageous for the everyday player, uh, the regular player, if you will, uh, as opposed to the more sophisticated players uh, who who do a lot more with those pick fives and pick fours, and they have a bigger bigger bankroll. There's a lot of variables that that go into uh, playing pick fives and pick fours as opposed to the doubles and pick threes. Okay, Grant Forster is going to join us. Grant Forster who grew up under the tutelage of his father, Dave, just a tremendous horseman and individual. Um, and Grant uh, and Dave, they were answers to our trivia question a week or so ago about father and son who's been leading stakes trainers for a season at Emerald Downs. Both of them did it. And uh, Grant, of course, saddling no giveaway to win the 2005 mile for Herman Sarkowski. It's looking like he's coming back to Emerald Downs with a horse that we know pretty well after the last few years. Yeah, Bill and I were just talking before that uh, five-star general. Mm -hmm. Interesting stat, 0 for 7 at Emerald Downs. But he's a little different horse right now than what we saw uh, here last year, where he was competitive, but he wasn't a freewheeling frontrunner like he is now. And that kind of seems to be effective, Bill. Yes, he won a race at Keeneland after the Emerald Downs meet in the fall, allowance optional claiming race, and uh, his uh, stakes victory came at Evangeline in the Evangeline Mile, and then ran this past weekend at my old stomping grounds at uh, in Indianapolis, ran the uh, Michael Schaefer Memorial Stakes, had the lead, and uh, got passed in mid-stretch and finished a good second against a pretty darn good field Um in that race on July 8th and uh, looks like to be one of the uh, top contenders uh, for our big race, the Long Acres Mile. For those of you who follow Byers, he got he got a, a 94. In, in defeat. In defeat in the Schaefer Memorial, mm. which stacks up, stacks up right there, uh, puts him right there in the thick of things uh, at Emerald Downs for uh, this year's mile. Five-star general course is running a couple miles here, Joe. He's running uh, three miles, and he's the only horse to be placed three times, along with Stryker, Ph.D., who's going into the Hall of Fame on Saturday, August 12th. So those two horses are the only two in Long Acres Mile history to be placed three times. Of course, five star, or no, Stryker, Ph.D., won two of those and ran second 
and five-star general will be seeking his first mile victory. So Grant Forster, trainer of five-star general, he's owned by Ken L. Haddiff, who bought him out of the Glen Todd dispersal sale. And uh, it's got to be happy with that purchase. Um, Ken L. Haddiff would love to win the Long Acres Mile. Of course, his grandfather, uh, Joe Gottstein, started the mile back first running was 1935, and Joe Gottstein was able to win it. And Ken uh, always uh, likes that uh, the name of that race and would just love to be a factor, and, and sounds like he is going to be if he indeed ships out. I talked with uh, the owner of Zabra Cadabra, Frank Sample, who, uh, Zabra Cadabra, I think we brought up, he's the leading Washington money earner after another win last weekend. Son of Harbor the Gold started his career at Emerald Downs as a two-year-old in uh, 2019. He's now six, and he's got three wins and two seconds in five starts this year. Um, Frank Sample is going to be at Emerald Downs. He's yeah. running a horse on Friday night. He's yeah, I think be his here. wife Lola too. They, okay. they, they're yep. no strangers to the West Coast. Right. And I think well, they, they have still, a house in Issaquah. Yeah. And I think they've had some horses with Blaine Wright here. Uh, certainly uh, in Northern California, if not here over the last few years, I've seen their name a lot. I think they also breed some horses too. Yeah. And uh, he did purchase uh, Zabracadabra at a sale. And um, he's eligible in all these states here through, through different payment. Uh, and uh, residency requirements. So, some uh, mile action on training day. Bridal at the bar. We caught him training this morning. Worked 45 and 3 for a half mile. Fast. Pretty snappy move there. Just for a fast horse. The winner of uh, our Budweiser over Sluz, Tiz, Wiz, and 10 others. Okay, uh, Vince, uh, what about weekly honors for last week? Okay, yeah, weekly honors for last week. We went with the jockey, Javier Matias. Uh, he had a couple nice wins. Long-time rider in the top five here now. Uh, Las Margaritas trainer, how about this? Jamie Pierman Cruz, the wife of uh, jockey Alex Cruz, two for two. Yeah. Her first two Emerald Downs wins. The owners of the week, Connie Erickson, Lee Erickson. Joe, you interviewed them down in the winner's circle. They've got themselves a pretty nice uh, two-year-old named Whiskey Harbor. Uh, so they are the owner of the week. Washington Bread of the Week, You Go Girl, trained by Steve Bullock, bred by Ronna Nina Hagen. That, she's been a hard knocker here the last few years. And then the Quarter Shoot Cafe groom, Ramon, Her Ramon Fernandez, who works for Howard Belber for many years, is our groom of the week. Okay. And couple, all... I'm sorry, a couple of honorable mentions. Sure. How about Neptali Ortiz, second straight Saturday triple for him. Ryland Harwood, first Emerald Down Stakes win. And then Blaine Wright's 1,000th victory. Yeah, that's great. I had some of those written down. Dirt Road Red won again. Bill, his fourth win at the meeting. Nobody else has three, so uh, that horse is doing absolutely super. Neptali Ortiz had a triple last Saturday? Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's, two straight Saturday triples. That he wasn't here last Sunday. He was down at Pleasanton, and uh, yeah, he's really catching on here. Yeah. What about the stakes last weekend, Bill? Uh, nice selection for you on Appeal Factor. The the daughter of Karula, who did win the NGC by 12 lengths in her career That's debut. Amazing. And this one's by the Factor. Uh, and boy, she was a real professional winner. Yes. And she didn't get off to the best no. star in the world. Uh, that's uh, something that uh, I didn't, I was looking at the chart that, uh, yeah, they said shuffled back. Well, she just didn't get the the best uh, 
Now she got bumped and her rear end almost came out from underneath her there right at the start. Yeah, yeah. went off at uh, four to one and uh, rallied uh, an upper stretch uh, to get that lead and uh, drew away to win by two and a half. Mocktails, anyone was second. Bourbon Tiger, who had the early pace, uh, finished third. And uh, Peel Factor, as a first-time starter, winner of the NGC. You know, and I should have mentioned Dave Martinez. That's a great training job for a horse to, you know, not only break, break great but then also to pass up horses that might have been a little more have a fitness advantage and out finish them down the lane so just a super uh debut and then the other one whiskey harbor bill that horse broke really oh, sharp boy. and did everything very professionally yeah. joe you said it they've got something with this rise up potentially as a as a stallion yeah lee erickson claims so uh, we've got a faster one than him you know they've got three two-year-olds and this one is the first starter and, of course, uh, first winner, first stakes winner for Rise Up, a son of Rockport Harbor who had a really good career. He's standing in, in Oregon, uh, southeast of Salem in uh, around, uh, what was it? I forget the name of the town, southeast of Salem. But... Uh, Sublimity, Oregon. There it is, Sublimity. Yeah, that's yeah. where they're from, yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah. So there's a couple of juvenile stakes winners in the books at Emerald Downs. We're on to the three-year-olds again this weekend, as we said, with the Irish Day for Colts and the Kent for Phillies. And yeah, Aloha Breeze back in action. Bill, She's one of the top stories. Whiskey Harbor too? I no. I picked Whiskey Harbor. You picked Whiskey yeah. So between you guys and neither yeah. of them were even close to being favored. So good job. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, I had them in the money, but I didn't pick them on top. So, uh, okay, so we're going to have our regular show today. Grant Forster will be in our second segment. Uh, anything else, Bill, from last week that you Yeah, like to well, bring you up? mentioned Dirt Road Red, and, you know, he's yeah. won four in a row, including last two, both uh, $25,000 claiming races. I will say that the horse that finished second in that race, Gold Crusher, needs to be watched uh, very carefully. Mm. He didn't get off to a good start at all, made... Uh, made a race of it, but uh, Dirt Road Red cleared off to win by uh, two lengths. Got a buyer speed figure of 77. I saw in Vince's uh, notes from last week. And then Armadoro from off yeah. the pace with Rocco Bowen in a big field. I know, Joe, you like Prayer of Jabez, who finished second. I thought, I thought that horse was home on the turn. Yeah, but, Jabez. He ran huge. But uh, Armadoro set off uh, the fractions 43.72 to the half. And... Uh, that was a, I think it's going to be a really good race uh, going forward. Um, you can make a lot of uh, there were a lot of horses that ran decent in there. Uh, you're the cause who finished third. It mm -hmm. looked like that was a, mm -hmm. a bounce back race. Obviously, Prayer of Jabez, if he can get to the front end in any of his races, he's dangerous. And even an old guy, Alto Ombre, finished fourth, only beating a neck yeah. for third. He that was run that was that was a race that said to me that he could win a race or two here at the Emerald Downs meetings. All all top four finishers. Uh, and you can probably even go down there a little bit more, you know, horses that needed a race. Nine one one finished eighth. So that that, that was a top uh, I thought a top notch race, top to bottom, that was won by Armadoro and, with and uh, Rocco Bowen up for uh, Dan Markle. Figures bear it out too with a eighty one buyer for the winner there, Armadoro, career mm -hmm. high. And that's a nice mm. horse Dan Markle has there. And uh yeah, tough beat there. Good pick with Prayer of Jabez, Joe. Uh he really showed oh, some boy. speed. Yeah, I could have used him hanging in there for some pretty nice pick threes but uh nonetheless he did flash some awesome speed against as bill ran down that field that was a, a strong field going six and a half and uh, um so yeah we'll keep an eye on those those horses coming back um 
So uh, this weekend at Emerald Downs, again, Friday night, first race at 7 p.m., Horseshoe Toss, art art show going on, Equine Art 2023. Saturday is British night, and we're going to have live music on both Saturday and Sunday here at Emerald Downs. We're going to have a band playing all those British hits, which there's a few out there. Saturday, first race, 5 p.m., British night. Sunday is Irish Day, and first race at 2 p.m., uh, happy to announce that Joe Steiner, Joe, the uh, husband of Sally, the operators of the quarter shoot, he, he had a, just a little bit of a medical issue last week, but he's fine. Uh, had a little, it wasn't a stent procedure, I forget what you call it, but he, he's fine. He's back to work, and that's good to see. They were closed for a day there while Joe was being attended to. So uh, great to hear that as well. And uh, yeah, um, race pattern for the horses. Uh, I talked to Eric Crowfoot. He said he didn't do anything different to the track from last week to this past week. Um, but you know, the, the, just the normal settling of dirt and humidity and factors like that temperature. Uh, we did see a, a lot of horses making moves from off the pace after that June 23rd, 24th well, weekend. That's what I would say that that's the weekend, the June 23rd, 24th, whatever 25th. Yeah. The 25th that that's the day, the weekend that the track was tilted towards speed, mm-hmm. much more, uh, even in terms of running styles, uh, the last couple of weekends here at Emerald Downs. Okay, we're going to get Grant Forster on the line here on Horse Racing Northwest. And uh, in our final segment, we'll have our regular selections and uh, sports shorts and uh, trivia here on Horse Racing Northwest. It doesn't matter if you love craps, blackjack, machines, or dining on the finest Asian, American, and Salish cuisines. It doesn't matter what you do or where you're coming from. What you do is all at Muckleshoot. An easy drive from wherever you are. All roads lead to Muckleshoot. Muckleshoot. Top of the stretch in the mile. Quiet cash in front. Tackled by Flamethrow and Texan. Harvard Avenue down the outside. Desert Boom the center. And then Sabertooth and no giveaway coming up the rail. Quiet cash in front. Coming fast is Flamethrow and Texan. Desert Boom and no giveaway. Quiet cash struggling. No giveaways getting it in the center. And no giveaway will win the Long Acres mile. No giveaway first. That was one great moment in Emerald Downs history. The 2005 Long Acres mile. 60 to 1, no giveaway, coming down the stretch under Juan Gutierrez for breeder owner Herman Sarkowski and trainer Grant Forrester. Uh, magnificent day at Emerald Downs, a lot behind that race and that story and uh, Washington racing history. And I know he remembers it well. It's been a few years now, but joining us on Horse Racing Northwest is trainer Grant Forrester. Grant, great to have you on. Oh, I never get tired of hearing that, uh, <laughs> for sure. You know, Grant, just recap that a little bit. Uh, yeah, I remember calling you and, and asking you if you were going to run in the mile, and you said, well, I'm going to have to talk to Mr. Sarkowski and, and take it away. Yeah, it was. I was actually traveling from Chicago to Toronto. I was going up to run a horse uh, at Woodbine at the time, and Mr. Sarkowski said after we had won the Governors, he wanted to think about it, whether we would run in the mile or not. And we just, we had an awesome relationship, almost like a father son relationship. He was one of my earliest supporters 
when I began training and, uh, um, we just had a great relationship and I'll remember I was kind of nervous. I really wanted to run in the mile and I was worried he was going to maybe say it was maybe too tough or something. And I remember I, I called him up and, uh, and said, Mr. Sarkowski, what, what would you like to do? And before I could even finish the question, he says, I want to run in the mile. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just meant to be. I really feel like it was it was the racing gods had a Long Acres mile picked out for Mr. Sarkowski for everything he had done for the sport, and, and particularly in Washington. And and uh, for whatever reason, all everything came together, and it was a, a magical day and uh, just obviously one of those gorgeous, Seattle days and uh, I'll never the day I'll never forget for the rest of my life. Yeah, it was a special day. One more thing on that before Vince, uh, um, we did the draw there, and Herman Sarkowski was at the draw, and we did have video of the 1971 mile, and his horse uh, titular the second came down the stretch with a three length lead, and he was actually widening a little bit and. You know, best guess is he the starting gate startled him in the infield, and he just propped, as you well know. We showed that video, yeah. and uh, it he got started again inside the 16th pole, finished third, pitch out one by a nose over command module, and that was a tough one. So it was uh, 34 years later that uh, Herman Sarkowski got a Long Acres Mile victory. And, and I remember when we had uh, the Washington Hall of Fame ceremony for Herman and Faye, his wife, mm-hmm. got up and she got out a $100 bill yeah. and said, Herman gave me this the morning of the mile and said to bet it on no giveaway. And she said, I looked at the morning line and said, no, no 30 to one shot is going to win. Well, he ended up winning at 60 <laughs> to one and she still had the hundred he had given him. She still had the hundred, Grant, but uh, that was that was just a tremendous day. And then... Uh, you know, uh, you had a little barn get-together after the races that night. A little, I should say. There's probably about 40 <laughs> to 50 people there, and, and no giveaway. You brought him out. He was a pretty cool horse, wasn't he? Yeah, him and both him and his sister, You Can't Take Me, were really, mm. really, uh, were both people horses. And, of course, she was a, a really talented filly that we, his full, his full sister that we had had for Mr. Sarkowski and and uh, a multiple stakes winner and and a washington oaks winner and and whatnot and they were both just as easy going as can be but when they got in the game they loved to run and uh yeah i'll always remember that day we had such a crowd back at the barn and everyone was having a great time and it just seemed like the horse should should get to enjoy what what he had worked for and and get the adulation i remember we brought some hay out put it on the ground and let him graze and uh um, everybody was feeding them carrots and yeah, it was just, it was just one of those magical days that, uh, that, that was the reason why we're all in this sport. Yeah. He beat, uh, two previous Long Acres mile winners and one future one in flamethrowing Texan in that, in that 2005 mile, just so many uh-huh. outstanding stories centered around that year. Well, you may be coming back to town and, uh, Always happy to see Grant Forrester. What a great personality and uh, likable guy. I don't know if he's ever made an enemy in his life, but uh, uh, you're coming back to beat the locals. Uh, that's the plan as, as of right now with the five-star general? Yes, definitely. I just actually I spoke with the owner, Kenny Alhadis, today, and, and we talked about the shipping arrangements and what. But, yeah, ever since I got the horse last fall, Kenny has talked about wanting to come back for the mile if, if the horse was up to it and running well. And uh, so he's, he's obviously he's had a good winter and spring for us. And 
we uh, we gave him after he won the Evangeline Mile and uh, the beginning of April. We brought him back here to Kentucky and sent him out to the farm for a little break, uh, just a short little rest and get some turnout time and, and uh, just to kind of freshen him up. And we eyed the the race that we ran in at, at Torshu Indianapolis the other day as a prep for the mile. And knock on wood, everything has gone according to plan. And he ran a great race the other day to set him up for hopefully a a big effort in the Long Acres Mile, which I, I believe is the 88th this year. Is that right? Yes, uh, indeed. Uh, so uh, we're we're planning on coming. Yep, we're we're really looking forward to it. I can't wait to come home and see everybody. And uh, I hope I'm still considered somewhat of a local. <laughs> well, yeah, you are. Grant actually worked in our media relations department for a couple of seasons and was deciding which way to go. And uh, you know the profession of horse trainers a little better off with you in it and uh how's your dad doing by the way uh what what a class guy dave forster is and what an accomplished horseman too how's he doing dad's doing dad's doing okay thanks joe he's really slowing down though he's 87 now Mm -hmm. and and just the last year or two really slowing down he's still still training at hastings they just have a handful of horses my mom won't let him retire because he needs she's worried about him not having anything to do so they're still in the game and still going, but yeah, he's really slowing down. But uh, we talk every day. When I was his assistant at Emerald Downs, we got in the habit of I would I would call him after the morning training every morning and and let him know how everything went. And uh, so we just I've kept that going for Jesus uh, over twenty years now. So I pretty much call him after training every morning here. That's great. Uh, sometimes a little later here because of the uh, time change here in Kentucky. But uh, we've talked every day. Uh, pretty much for, for the last 20 years. And, um, yeah, dad's, dad's one of the neatest guys of all time. And, and mm. as you know, and unfortunately never got to win a long acres mile and, and he's pretty much won every race in the Northwest. But so it was, it was really a family affair when we, when we were able to win it with, with no giveaway. Yeah. Uh, that was, uh, a, a quite the day as we, have said, and, uh, you know, you're going to try and win it again with the horse that uh, we've seen here in the mile three times, uh, as we talked earlier on our podcast, and I think I made you aware of uh, only three, two horses have been placed three times in the mile, and Five Star General's one of them. So this will be his fourth Long Acres mile, uh, along with Striker PhD, um, who won it twice. Uh, you know, he he was running from a little bit off the pace here the last couple of years, and now he's just showing just some really outstanding speed. Uh, how does that transformation happen, you know, at, say, age seven? Well, I've, I've been, been kind of joking a little bit with some people in the jocks and stuff. I don't know if he just got to a certain age and he decided he just didn't want to get dirty anymore <laughs> and was tired of having dirt thrown in his face or what, but it it just worked out the day we ran him, the first time we ran him uh was at Keeneland last fall uh coming off the Emerald Downs races and there wasn't much pace in the race and he made the lead pretty handily that day and and won a course and uh he's just kind of got it in his mind that that's what he wants to do we certainly haven't done anything to uh to ask him for more gate speed we haven't worked him out of the gate or anything like that or or uh you know tried you know done any sharper blowouts or anything like that to try and get him to show more speed he's just kind of wanted to do it and we took the blinkers off him in his three races this spring because he was almost too keen on the front end in this in a few of the races so uh um yeah i just i think he's uh for whatever reason he's evolved into that style i I had another horse several years ago called northern val who was a a more modest horse a claiming horse but he he, we had him we had claimed him back and had him as a 
I believe, a seven-year-old, and he was always a deep closer, and, and he started to lay up close and be close. So maybe they just get tired of figuring out if you uh, you can stay clean if you're in front or something. <laughs> I, I really don't have a great great reason for why it's all of a sudden come this way. Yeah, Grant, you mentioned the blinkers uh, coming off, and you, you mentioned uh, in your last answer about being too keen. What, did you was it Did you know that once you took the blinkers off, this horse would settle more, or what? What, what goes into the decision in taking blinkers on and blinkers off? Uh, is it just you know trying to turn around uh, the form, or is was there anything specific that you saw that uh, you, you want to do that uh, equipment change? Well, certainly there's always different reasons uh, for different horses why you want to add blinkers or take blinkers off. And, uh, you know, you'll see in a lot of, you know, maiden claiming races, blinkers on is one thing that you see all the time when people are not getting out of the horse with their tr- what they think they should be getting out of based on the morning workouts or that. In his case, it was more of a, he's obviously a very experienced horse. He's a horse who tries hard every time. And I just didn't, didn't feel like he needed them at this point. He's a professional. He never offered anything in the morning that we saw that that needed him and uh um yeah and, and he was pretty keen like i said in a couple of his races and uh even without the blinkers he still can be really strong on the on the front uh the race that he lost to zozos the allowance race at fairgrounds he was pretty strong even that day even without the blinkers the first time but uh yeah in his case it was just more of a really not needing them and He's, uh, you know, if you watch the race Saturday, you saw him really try to fight back. And, yep. and also in that Zozos race, he really tried to fight back. So a horse that you've got that is a fighter and will will try, you know, you want him to be able to see when the horse is coming to his outside, especially in his case, if he's on the lead and, and coming at him uh, so he can fight back and, and see where what he has to do to get back in front. So you, that, that was kind of the thinking that went into that. You mentioned Zozos and you mentioned Trademark, the two horses that he lost to in defeat, and he got big buyer speed figures in defeat in both of those uh, performances. Trademark was uh, third before that win in the Schaefer at uh, the Salvador Mile at Mammoth, and Zozos is turning into a really nice horse, won an overnight stakes at uh, Churchill on, I think it was Derby Day, and then uh, came back and won uh, another uh, stakes race. Uh, so uh, five-star general's been keeping some pretty darn good company. Even when he loses, he, he's been running on strongly. Yeah, he's really run into some buzzsaws a couple times. And I, like you said, Trademark, I think, was probably may have run his best race of his career the other day, was coming off a, a really strong third in the Salvatore Mile, which is, was a strong race this year. And, uh, and yeah, Zozos is probably the top mile, you know, maybe the top miler in Kentucky right now. He, as you say, he won the race on Derby Day and then came back and won the uh, a race that was formerly run at Arlington Park, uh, the Hanshin Cup. I know that uh, race. Now, now, now being run at, uh, would have been run at the Churchill meet, but of course was run at the Churchill at Ellis meet <laughs> right. uh, the yeah. other day. But he was an impressive winner again and, and uh, a, a fast horse. And of course, a, uh, was in the Kentucky Derby last year with a with a with a puncher's chance. So yeah, uh, yeah he's been keeping good company, and uh, um, so yeah, he certainly deserves his chance to to come back out and and try one more time. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what's interesting, Grant, is you kind of have this horse on a little North American tour, but even before you had him, this this horse, I think I've counted up. He's raced twenty nine times at fourteen. Wow. I think I got that fourteen different race tracks, and this guy must just take it all in stride. Yeah, and that's where we're, you know, you, you're more confident about shipping a horse. Uh, you know, the shipping arrangements uh, are going to be, it looks like we're going to have to van him to Memphis, and he's going to fly from Memphis to Seattle probably on the Tuesday of mile week. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I've been joking with people all winter that I, I'm pretty sure 
I mean, I'm sure we, we'd have to go back through the annals of history, but there can't be too many horses in, in the history of horse racing that have won at Laurel, Aqueduct, Hastings, Keeneland, and Evangeline Downs. So there can't be, there can't be a large group of horses that have been able to do that. That's right. We went, we went over that last year and add Evangeline to that. And you, you were talking there with Bill about fighting back and, and seeing other horses. Well, he really is fought in defeat in a couple of miles. That was a huge race last year. Uh, I wouldn't have given you much chance for him. Uh, and then he had a bunch of trouble in the clubhouse turn and another mile, the, the 21 mile, still ran in the money. So uh, he's no lily out there, huh, Grant? No, not at all. And he's just, he's really, for a, for a stud horse, he's really kind around the barn to deal with. He's, a, he's a, just a really class act. And uh, But yeah, actually, talking about his race i watched the i knew at the time that he was he was he was probably coming back to me last fall and and obviously i always watch the mile every year Mm -hmm. no matter what anyway but had a little kind of rooting interest to watch him and and uh and of course knowing that glenn todd had owned him and my brother worked for glenn todd for for many years running his derby bar and grill up there so uh the todd family is obviously close to us as well and, and so i followed the horse's career you know most of the way anyways but uh yeah, I thought he ran a you know as good a racer, or, or maybe even better than the winner last year, you could say. And uh, I was looking at his thoroughgraph sheets just the other day uh, um, for our race, and actually his his race in the mile last year, he got a one and a half on the thoroughgraph sheets because of all the ground he lost, and and it's actually his best number, I think. Hmm. Uh, so I don't know what our number was from this past weekend, but uh, the best number he's run for me, I think, is a two and a half uh, when in the uh, when he won the Evangeline Mile. So, uh, or actually, excuse me, in, in the, in the loss to Zozos, pardon me, in that allowance race. So, um, so yeah, it was, you know, even the sheep, sheep, sheep makers, uh, thought it was a huge effort that he ran in the mile last year. Yeah. Uh, it was impressive and he's just kept going as we've outlined his, uh, 2023 season and next race, Emerald Downs, August 13th, the Long Acres mile. And, Grant, uh, again, just it's going to be great to have you involved again, and Ken L. Haddiff and uh, a horse that people know around here, and maybe can, he can add another track to his list of accomplishments of uh, eclectic track combo <laughs> victories. But uh, anyway, great having you on. Good luck the next few weeks, and uh, it's, it's going to be, again, great to see you out here for the mile. Yeah, I can't wait to. Well, I know we've got some people, some folks coming in from around the country, that friends of ours and stuff that are planning on on making it a trip. And yeah, we're all super mm-hmm. excited about coming out and being being a part of Mile Day at Emerald Downs again. I can't wait. I'm so excited. And thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you, Grant. Take care. See you soon, Grant Forster, joining us on Horse Racing Northwest. And uh, how about this one that'll come out a few times between now and then. Five-star general's fourth start in the mile. It'll be his fourth different official trainer listed. (laughs) 2020, it was owner Glenn Todd. 2021, Sandy Gann, who worked for Glenn Todd. Last year, Doris Harwood. And this year, Grant Forrester. That's, uh, yeah. You probably find that hard to match for a horse who's running one stake four times. It's just a real interesting horse. Yeah. And he's getting better with age. And that's, as Grant said, that's, that's kind of unusual usually, you know, the, the, the highest figures are coming at age seven. And he's still a, a horse, if you will. You yeah. mentioned a yeah. stud horse, uh, not a gelding. And, and you usually don't see that uh, at um, age seven. At age and... seven. It's, you always find an excuse of they're going to continue to raise. They, they tend to 
geld horses, a lot of them. So uh, that was, I thought, interesting as well. And Grant also saddled the runner-up in the mile in 2005, Quiet Cash. Uh, I think it was Terry Jordan wasn't actually allowed to come in the U.S. at that time. So Grant saddled him for the Canadian trainer and Grant had a one-two finish. And so anyway, more mile history be made on August 13th. Thanks for Grant Forster joining us on our podcast. We're going to come back with our third and final segment here in a moment on Horse Racing Northwest. It doesn't matter if you love craps, blackjack, machines, or dining on the finest Asian, American, and Salish cuisines. It doesn't matter what you do or where you're coming from. What you do is all at Muckleshoot. An easy drive from wherever you are. All roads lead to Muckleshoot. Muckleshoot. Horse Racing Northwest continues, and on with us right now is Ann Sweet, co-chairman of the Equine Art Committee, and another show this week at Emerald Downs, again, a fantastic addition every year on track level in the summertime, and we are here. And thanks for joining us. Sure, no problem. Happy to be here. You bet, uh, and so well known to so many in this industry for, you know, a couple few decades, Ann, in your <laughs> yeah. service to Washington Racing and the Washington Breeders. But uh, it's Equine Art Week. Uh, what uh, people have to look forward to? Well, we have a, a wide range of, of of art all about all kinds of horses. It's There's a lot of racing art, but there's a lot of non-racing art. It's all related to the equine, though. So, Everything horse-related in all kinds of mediums. So there's watercolor, there's oil, um, a few sculptures, um, mixed media, just all kinds of things. And we have um, also all ages. Most of the art is adult artwork, uh, but we do have categories for the the kids um, 13 to 18 and then 12 and under. So that's always a, a nice addition to the show. It's always a real popular feature. You bet. Um, it's just a fantastic show with the, the creative process, how it comes out in these finished pieces of all these different mediums, as you mentioned. And uh, there's prizes for the uh, con- the contestants, the submissions, and but also the art is for sale, correct? Yeah, yep. Yep, it's, it's all for sale. Oh, and we do have an exciting new category. Well, the art is always fabulous. It's always it's it's always worth looking at, and we do usually have really good sales. But this year we have a new a new category called miniatures, and those pieces typically have ranged in the like sixty to one hundred and fifty dollar range. So if somebody wanted a nice piece of art, they could pick it up for a reason, pretty reasonable price. And there's some wonderful, we had really good turnout for this being the first time we uh, of doing this category. So there's some wonderful work to look at and yes, purchase for sure. Excellent. You know, and uh, speaking of that, if somebody listening has uh, themselves or someone they know that would, uh, that is an artist that does have that talent and bent uh, would like to submit for the equine art show uh how does one do that well um 
they can search equine art show uh, online, Google it, and and will come up. Or if they're out at the art show this weekend, for sure, stop by our desk and sign up. We can add you to an email list or mailing list. Um, we always love to have more artists or meet new artists that are interested in equine art and love to have their submissions. The show always takes place in mid-July, and so it is online at um, probably the easiest way to find it is thoroughbredfoundation.org, but also Googling it is a good way as well, and it's on Facebook also. Fantastic. Lots of opportunity there for next year's art show, but for now, yeah. Mm -hmm. For now, it's uh, Thursday through Sunday at Emerald Downs on track level, Equine Art 2023. Again, all the arts for sale. Uh, make sure you walk up and down the aisles, and uh, even if you don't purchase, you will be impressed by uh, all the categories and mediums and submissions. So Yeah, and- we're, we just feel really fortunate that we have so many wonderful equine artists that support the show year after year, and then and then new artists as well. So, yeah, really a fun show to come and visit for sure. And thanks so much. Okay, thank you, Joe. We'll start with some sports shorts, and I'm going to go to uh, the AmCan golf matches are this Monday up in Bellingham at Lake Padden. Those have been some interesting stories coming out of those things. AmCan, American versus Canadians, Ryder Ryder Cup type format. We haven't played since 2019, and I know the Canadians have won the last four times. Dubious. So you've got a match against your Canadian opponent in your group, and then you and your U.S. partner in your group play a match against the two Canadians together. So there's three points in, in every group. And one of the stories is Georgie Colello. He'll, he'll be playing. He's on our gate crew. He'll be playing this Monday up at Lake Padden. He's about a 25 handicap or so. So I'm playing with him, and I'm not going to name the names of the other two guys, but... Uh, the one guy is this big strapping young guy, and he doesn't even hit a wood off the tee. He hits a three iron. Three iron. He hits it about 220. And, you know, he was probably, I mean, I've, I've golfed a lot, so he, he could have been a 15, 16 handicap, but he was playing as a 26. And, you know, I didn't know him. I'd never played with him. And Georgie ended up shooting like 117 that day, you know, way over his handicap. But the funny part of the whole thing was, Georgie got a birdie on a par five and he didn't win the hole because he had a one stroke lower handicap than his opponent. And that was the stroke hole. So a guy shoots a 117, gets a birdie, and doesn't even win the hole. Aren't there I mean, some dubious handicaps coming from north of the border in those events? Uh, I've heard about a little bit. Well, <laughs> they've had the same guys win several times, I'll say that. But uh, we're going to try it again. They're they're good guys for the most part. And usually when you lose a match, you can kind of most of the time blame it on yourself. But uh, nonetheless, I thought that was a little... Uh, hard to figure a guy shooting that high and getting a birdie and still losing the hole. So, all right, we're going to play them on Monday. Uh, Bill? Our Seattle Mariners okay. went into the All-Star break 45 and 44, but uh, it's amazing how a week makes a huge difference. Everyone was all sour on the Mariners, and then they they continued to play good baseball. They took three or four from Houston. They played well against uh, uh, Tampa Bay. 
And now they, they start the all-star break against uh, Detroit, uh, three games, and then Minnesota over the weekend, or actually early next week, and then against uh, Toronto. Now, there is something about the Mariners that, that there's a big question mark coming up. You know, they've got the two rookies, Bryce Miller and Brian Wu. Uh, Miller, uh, you know, went into the all-star break with a little bit of a blister. They think he's going to come back. But Brian Wu is not going to be with the Mariners the entire year because he will have an innings uh, pitch uh, count, whatever you want to call it, innings limit. Uh, last year, he only pitched uh, 67 and two-thirds innings. Uh, between minor league and fall ball this year, he's already at 78 and two thirds innings. And, you know, he's, he's, he's doing great uh, as, as a rookie, but at some point they're going to shut him down. And so the Mariners are going to have a big question mark on what, uh, what they're going to have to do with that fifth starter and whether uh, whoever's going to, it's going to be. But the fact that they're doing all right right now, they could be buyers at the trade deadline and not uh, sellers. So, uh, it's go time for the Mariners. So the difference last year, they got really hot after the all-star break. They did. And they last the two Angel- years. Okay. They had the Angels and the Rangers in their division. Both those teams are much more competitive this year. Yeah, but, but the, it's fading. the okay. Angels, the Angels had Trout's hurt and he's okay. not coming back anytime soon. And uh, uh, Angels, don't worry about the Angels and the Rangers. Even though they're thirteen over five hundred, the last twenty-five games or so, they they're they're playing below five hundred. They're thirteen and twenty in their last thirty-three. Yeah, I think I read. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Um, so it's there's there's stuff that can happen with the the Mariners that they get hot here, and like I said, the, the, the mid July and and August that's the that's their go time. Uh, that's where they got some some easy series. Uh, that they could uh, potentially, you know, sweep some of these bad, bad baseball teams, and they they got to do it if they want to uh, get into you know, either the division or and or the wild card. I'll stick on a baseball theme. Uh, I usually mention I root for the American League. They lost again the other night. Um, I told you that the that National League was well meant once they National League's first win since 2013. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Wow. They were favorite. I was like, yeah, Ooh. they were begging you to bet on the Yale. Yeah. Uh, but one of the first ones I remember watching the whole game was 1970 and the American league had a four, one lead late in the game. Dick Deets hit a homer to make it four to two. And then Dick I think they Deets. got two in the ninth to tie it. And then of course the famous play where Jim Hickman singles up the middle and here comes Pete Rose rounding third and a throw. And he just leveled like a football play into the gut of Ray Fossey and Ray Fossey, of course, was never quite the same. No. Uh, exciting. The National League won it five to four. Um, but it just got me to thinking, you know, about Pete Rose, the two of the most famous, well, the two most famous stats in baseball, most hits, Pete Rose and most home runs, Barry Bonds, neither guy's in the Hall of Fame. And it just, you know, everyone knows that it's obvious. We always talk about it, but it just kind of dawned on me. God, how is yeah. that possible? Because I know Pete Rose broke the cardinal rule, but growing up, no one played the game harder. And Pete Rose, he was a hit machine and uh, part of a, one of the great teams. We remember the big red machine. And, of course, Barry Bonds was a monster who then might have gotten some chemical help or whatever. It's just strange, though, that, you know, two iconic records yeah. and those neither guy is in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Dick Dietz hit a home run in the All-Star game. He huh? did, and that got kind of started the comeback. They were down 4-1, to one, and okay. they were dead in the water, and, uh, and they rallied. He... Uh, He's the guy that Don Drysdale hit with the pit. He hit him with a pitch. And then and the umpire reversed it and said, you didn't try and get out of the way. It's not. It's a strike. 
Oh. And then that kept, that was going to force in a run. And that would have ended Don Drysdale's scoreless innings. 58 innings, was it? I think it was 56 and two-thirds. Okay, then Horsheiser. That would have ended it, yeah. Yeah. And um, then he, Dietz must have struck out or hit out. But he was the guy that kind of got, took the pitch intentionally to get Yeah, Dick Dietz, Giants catcher, was kind of a couple pretty decent years back then. And the member when the Giants had Marshall and Gaylord Perry, they were 300-inning machines. You know, Bill mentions these guys on these innings counts. Yeah, there sure wasn't that one. I was, in fact, I, I, they just had uh, like a 50th anniversary, a game, 15 inning game between the Angels and Red Sox, where Luis Tiant and Nolan Ryan both pitched all 15 you innings. Got to be kidding! I'm not I don't kidding. Remember that one? They didn't do pitch counts that much Dang. back then, so you know it was different time. Okay, how about uh, some selections, Bill? Outstanding job last week, forty uh, percent on your picks. That's really good. Um, what do you got? Uh, anything for this week? Well, uh, the one I gave out on the podcast didn't win, but uh, I'm going to go back to the same trainer once again in race six on uh, Friday night. And it's a long shot. The uh, six horse, she said my way. Mm. Second race off the layoff. I watched the race back. This filly was double digits behind at the first call and at the at the quarter pole and and she made up a ton of ground she didn't get off to a good start there was a little bit of a bump at the start uh but she closed on that weekend that we mentioned that uh, emerald downs was playing much much faster and much more more speed favoring and she closed up a ton of ground and uh, it's a race that is really wide open yeah justin evans has got olivia's choice who's dropping down and claiming price I uh, was also a, a closer, but I, I, I'm going to get a much, much bigger price. I think Vince made, uh, she said my way, a 10 to 1 mm. in the morning line. So race six, number six, she said my way. Okay. I'm looking at her sheet right now. And yeah, that is an encouraging uh, long shot. Second start off a, a three-month layoff or so. And the other things you said, and she didn't win in eight starts last year, but a couple of decent races this year already. All right, there's a good angle. Um, I think I went mostly toward favorites on uh, Friday. Um, you know, I haven't been doing too well on my podcast picks. I know that my my star on the website has done well, but. Uh, Okay, we're having some good podcast moments right here from Joe. Let's see. Well, you got uh, another horse that was interesting that's running on uh, Saturday, uh, the fourth race, that two-year-old filly race. You got a, a half-sister to Papa's Golden Boy, mm-hmm. half-sister half to Gold Crusher, and that's Unbridled Violet for trainer Vince Gibson, a daughter of Outlash, out of a proud citizen mare who was uh, pretty good on the racetrack, earning about 80,000. And uh, Outlash is a, a new sire, so you don't get too much in terms of uh, stats on uh, that sire. But the workouts seem uh, fast enough, uh, 46 and change for the final workout from the gate on July 3rd. She looks like uh, she can run a little bit in the fourth race on Saturday. We caught her on training day this morning. Oh, good. She's jogging, unbridled violet. Uh, yeah, there's some... Uh, there's a horse in that race by the name of Always Gallant. The one I horse. know. I thought, who I had many years had the state record yeah. for a mile. That's in right. the 79 Long Acres Mile winner. Yeah. So Always Gallant's a two-year-old filly from trainer David Martinez. And 
Deja Vu's uh, Dam of She's a Kraken, Ms. Moscow Maddie. That's a good one. That's Dutton. And, and the four, uh, Golden Sense, The Sire Fly Far Away, The Dam. Stakes winner. Yeah. Uh, Todd and Shaw Hansen owned and bred horse with Blaine Wright. So uh, Champagne and Caviar's got a, a filly in there. Mm -hmm. That's a heck of a race. So I'm going to just uh, refer to my uh, um, website picks later in the week. They'll be up. Uh, okay, so uh, I think we're good for everything except for trivia. Last week was a really tough question. I didn't get any correct answers, but that's okay. The sire who had three consecutive races won at Emerald Downs. It was in 2003, races five, six, and seven were all won by sons or daughter of that famous stallion Alfari, a son of Danzig. He was based up in Canada. Kevin Radke won two of them, by the way, in this 2003 day. So Alfari won three races in a row as a sire at Emerald Downs. If anybody's got another one, send them to me. You know, I was reading an old New York Times story about one running of the sapling the other day, and the horse that finished third was a horse named Drumfire, who, of course, went on to be a tremendous sire oh, in this state. Yeah, really good. Jerry Paxton stood him there at Northwest Farms. This week's question, send your answers to trivia at emeralddowns.com. Gary Bays, Gary and Vicky will be back here on Sunday, August 6th, as well as Larry Pierce. It's our throwback the clock day, uh, 1970s Long Acres theme on Sunday, August 6th. And Gary is the only five-time winner of the Long Acres Mile. What was his first mile mount? Get me Gary Bays' first mount in the Long Acres Mile. Five-time winner. Okay. That's it for Horse Racing Northwest, Friday night at 7, Saturday at 5, Sunday at 2. Lots of music and racing, and of course the Corgis of the following Sunday, uh, July 23rd. That uh, will be of interest as well. And this is another edition of Horse Racing Northwest. <laughs>